pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Blaine? His, his name is Blaine? Oh, that's, a, that's a major appliance. That's not a name. The dog's a ball sniffer. Don't talk like that. Mr. Never yelled at Michael Larson because the dog was sniffing Michael's balls. What's up, everybody? My name's Aaron, and this is Diner Discussions. So uh, today in the studio, we actually have um, someone calling in that I'm excited to talk to. Um, finally, someone I can talk to about VHS tapes, and they don't look at me like I'm crazy. Uh, how's it going, Jason Stewart? Awesome, man. How's it going, Aaron? Uh, glad to be here. It's pretty good, actually. Um, the The weather hasn't been terrible yet. It's supposed to get really bad on Friday here in Oklahoma. Uh where are you from? Uh, so I live down here on the Gulf Coast, um, about an hour east of New Orleans, down here on the beach. Um, so it's it's Mississippi coast, but I'm sort of sandwiched right perfectly between New Orleans and Pensacola. I'm like right smack in the middle of them. Every time I think of um, that area, I always think about the freaking humidity. Yep, we get a good bit of that. Yeah. When, on my senior trip, I, uh, well, I guess it wasn't technically a senior trip. After I graduated, my family went to the East Coast, and we went, you know, via Texas and Louisiana. And we stopped and went to, uh, like, I don't even remember where it was, but we went to, like, a couple swamp tours. Um, and then we went to the French Quarter and stuff. And I just remember not being able to breathe a lot. Yeah, I, I love driving over to the city. Um, but. I pretty much only go over there from about October until uh, end of March, end of March, early April. Um, I was there last April, like first weekend in April, and it was just starting to turn during the daytime where it was like a little bit too hot to walk around. Yeah. Yeah, people always ask me, they're like, Oklahoma, when do we come? And I'm just like, not through like March through May because that's tornado season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy to get blown away up here. Um, do y'all actually get any tornadoes around there? Uh, well, so typically down here this close to the water, the only way we're usually going to get a tornado is if it has spun off of a hurricane. Okay. So that's cool because then we have a hurricane and tornado. Oh, yeah. So it's you like a bonus. Got to make it double deadly there. <laughs> way to one-up us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but once you get about an hour, 60, 70 miles, off the coast, you get plenty of, of tornadoes. Uh, uh, my original hometown where I was born, um, they had a bad tornado storm about maybe 10 years back and it like tore up the school and a bunch of neighborhoods and stuff. Wow. Yeah. About 45 minutes North of us, uh, is like tornado alley. So it's always getting hit. It seems like, um, I can't remember any tornadoes directly like downtown where I live in Paul's Valley. But I know that like in the countryside, there's been a lot. So, um, yeah. In that area, are, are there any good diners? Like, do you even have diners over there? I know. I mean, obviously you have diners, but like, is there any yeah. notable ones? Uh, so as far as like a, a uh, like a straight up diner, uh, there used to be this great place. Uh, just a few minutes down the road, down the beach from me, called uh, Darwell Cafe. Um, it was actually featured on uh, the Gatieri show oh, years really? and years back. And then, 
like so many places down here did not survive, uh, you know, COVID. I remember reading, uh, almost at the beginning, I think back in like, I think I saw the notice on Facebook, maybe like July or August or so of 2020, you know, they, uh, the, the original owner, you know, Mr. Darwell was stepping down his son who he had trained to be a chef after him had decided to go his do his own thing with his own restaurant. Didn't want to keep the, uh, you know, the brand going. So they, they just closed up. Um, and, uh, another cool place I like to hang out, uh, a buddy of mine, actually a neighbor lives right here in my, uh, my subdivision. He owned like a sort of nerd cafe gaming pub called the wayward Kraken. And, you know, typical like diner food, you know, burgers, you know, hot wings, that kind of stuff. But their whole shtick was, he had all these tabletop games, everything from D and D to Warhammer to, you know, taboo and categories and Pictionary. And on weeknights he would host like D and D crews to come in there and, you know, play their campaigns. Yeah. And then weekends, you know, he might have like a kind of a mid-level stand-up comedy act or something like that. Yeah. Same thing. COVID got him. And, yeah. you know, with that shutdown being shut down for weeks and weeks, couldn't pay the, the lease and, you know, employees went off, got other jobs and, you know, that's that. So, yeah, that um, definitely sucks. but there's a few other sort of mainstays, uh, you know, right here in my hometown of ocean Springs, you know, this little, little, little bitty, it's a little bitty hamlet on the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, no reason for, to, to have ever heard of it, but, um, it's got a pretty sort of popping little downtown mini strip of, of bars and restaurants and little sort of pubs. Um, there's this one that's been there for, 20 years or so uh, called the government street grocery. And it's like you said, it's pretty much like, like you're like, you'd kind of walk in just typical pub grub. Um, and then, uh, there's a few more down here. Um, of course, once you go all the way into New Orleans, I mean, then, you know, you're in food, food heaven. Yeah. So. I had my first po' um, boy there, um, a couple of years ago. And- oh yeah. It was good. Yeah, it was amazing, and and until like last year, I think I couldn't find any that were up here, um, even that were attempting it. But there is a little uh, two Cajuns is a little food truck that drives around um, in my area, and they have super good hush puppies and really good po boys. Oh, nice! Yeah, the hush puppies actually have like jalapenos in them, so it's like extra spicy, but. I can't have oh, them often because yeah. <laughs> they'll burn me up, but yeah. I, I really do enjoy them. So kind of to bridge the gap between kind of what we want to talk about and, and what we're talking about now, um, you know, there's a lot of fifties nostalgia from uh, a couple of generations ago. And so we've seen a lot of like fifties diner style um, places to eat um, oldies music playing uh, when do we start seeing like the eighties diners start popping up everywhere? So, you know, that's an interesting, you know, that you mentioned the fifties thing. Um, and part of the thing is, you know, look at like diners are a thing. I think we kind of associate with the fifties, you know, more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is funny you mentioned the fifties and the eighties together. Cause I've noticed, you know, there's this sense of nostalgia, for like a certain era and it's pop culture. And yeah, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like for the longest time, the fifties was everywhere. Yeah. Right. It was fifties, you know, fifties, this fifties that even in the eighties, 
like some of the most iconic eighties movies, when you think about it are kind of about the fifties and the back to the future is a perfect one. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like this sci-fi, it's futuristic, but at the same time, like, where do they go? They go back to the 1950s. And then most of the original movie is a 50s movie. Yeah. And then half of the sequel is back to the you know, the first half, they're in the future. The second half, they go right back to 1955. Um, and even the third one, I would argue, is still a 50s movie, because what was the most popular movie and TV genre in the 50s? The Western. Yeah. Um, and they even kind of play up that with him wearing those goofy clothes at the beginning. But, you know, in 1950s, Doc Brown puts him in this Roy Rogers outfit and he gets picked on when he's in the actual old West. <laughs> yeah. um, so as far as like an 80s themed diner, you know, I'm wondering what kind of shape that would take. Um, uh, you know, like, I think of the one that they actually had in Back to the Future 2 where you got Ronald Reagan and Max Headroom you know, digital waiters, you know, and the Pepsi comes up from, you know, the bottom of the bar and it has this inverted bottle shape. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Like, like what does, like, what does the perfect 80s style diner or, or, or sort of, you know, food establishment look like in your opinion? Uh, I'm not really sure. Um, like that is kind of like a really deep question and you could, we could probably talk about that the rest of the podcast. Um, but, uh, like I was born in 1990. So for me, the eighties that I know and love is like the tail end, you know, like the last five years of the eighties. Um, because that was kind of still popular when I was being raised. And, um, so I don't know, I'm thinking probably not diner food, but more of like a pizza, style food yeah I was, i'm sitting here trying to think of it and you know like what got really big in the 80s uh was, was you know i mean fast food was was huge in the 80s yeah. i mean instead of diners it was you know burger king and mm-hmm. kfc and you know all the big brand you know sort of uh chain restaurants you saw and it was just the commercials everywhere yeah. um you know, every town had its like hometown sort of restaurant, diner, or something like that. Um, but I tell you what the ultimate '80s diner would be. I just like I'm, I'm putting it together in my head, and uh, it would be to rebuild a sort of perfect time capsule version of an '80s Pizza Hut yeah, with like the go. red you know, the red cap roof. Yeah. And then you walk in and everything's that eighties decor where it's like wood panel Brown. You got those red Naugahyde seats. And then you have like the tabletop Pac-Man. This is Pac-Man game mm-hmm. and all the little arcade, you know, the uh, arcade games. And then, you know, the pizza bar right there. Um, I think that is the quintessential eighties diner is just the eighties era pizza hut experience yeah um you know like i said with Gallagher back there and all that kind of stuff um i think that something like that you know to, that captures that aspect of the 80s nostalgia because i remember going to those places and there was of course every pizza hut was like that back then and then you had like a couple of the knockoffs um there was this place where i'm originally from called uh, mr gaddy's and i think they changed the name to gaddy town I yeah, don't yeah. remember if they were a big chain, but I think they were a chain. Yeah. 
Um, and it was the same concept, but they just had tons of games. It was like, you know, uh, lots of arcade games for kids. It was everybody's birthday parties were always there. Um, and I remember in the eighties, every kid had the same birthday party. It was always at that place. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my, my earliest um, birthday party memory is actually at a McDonald's. So that's funny. Yeah. McDonald's play place. Yep. Yeah. And I remember having like all of my friends there and all of us having, um, you know, happy meals. And I remember there being like a ton of, um, just decorations that McDonald's supplied like the balloons and, and all kinds of like hang up decorations that said my name. I don't know if my parents paid for that like extra or, or what I've never actually asked them, but, um, yeah, yeah, I just remember it being like kind of magical, you know, But I do my early, my first concussion was actually when I was like seven and it was on back when they used to actually have toys and like the, um, in the, uh, back of the McDonald's and it was outside and there was a little carousel and it of course didn't work. So my older cousin was like, ah, everybody hop up on there. I'll spin you. And he spun us. And I remember just sliding off because those things were slick and uh, hitting my head on the teeter-totter. And then I oh, just wow. remember like laying in my parents' arms as the, I guess the ambulance showed up. <laughs> but that was like my, one of my earliest memories was getting knocked out in the McDonald's. Wow. Yeah. So um, another thing that I think of, like, I think, was there Chuck E. Cheese, was that as popular in the 80s as it was 90s or uh, so I don't remember when I first heard of Chuck E. Cheese, but we had this other thing called showbiz pizza. Yeah. And it was basically the exact same thing. Um, and I, if I remember it, I think we had a showbiz in my, in my town when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just pulling them up and, uh, yep. They were showbiz pizza was founded in 1980. In Kansas City, and then they closed the corporate closed operations in 1992. Okay. Um, and then at some point, I remember hearing about Chuck E. Cheese for the first time. And yeah, so Chuck E. Cheese has been around since 77, but we didn't have it where I was from. We had Showbiz, which was from looking at the dates, it looks like Showbiz was the knockoff. Chuck E. Cheese was the original. Yeah. Um, but that's what we had. We had a showbiz and a Mr. Gaddy's. Like I said, I think Mr. Gaddy's was the sure enough. It was the knockoff of the knockoff since we were in the same town. Um, so, yeah, it was always the same thing. Pizza, games, arcades, you know, screaming kids. Yeah. That sort of thing. Horrifying animatronics. Um, <laughs> um, they were really cool, though. I remember not being scared of them, but there's not enough... Um, animatronics and kids restaurants these days no you know you really need a, a good bit more sort of terrifying terminator robots disguised as you know uh rats and and other cartoon characters yeah when they're bugging out and like their eyelids are flat you know flapping really hard and uh scaring all the parents uh, those are good times core memories yeah oh man so um, um like that's kind of what I was thinking too, is like, there's got to be at least an animatronic stage in the perfect eighties restaurant. Um, 
And yeah, it, I, I don't, I don't know. There's so like a wealth of just eighties, really good eighties music. I mean, you could literally just play it all day, but there's this, um, I don't know what website it is and I can't remember off the top of my head. I got it on my computer saved, but it's the, um, it's, it's like you go there and it's like an old TV set, uh, screen. And then you can just click through each year of the eighties and just play nonstop footage from TV. So you can like pick between cartoons or like, you know, like, um, daytime TV or weather or whatever. And it just plays it constantly. So that would be really cool to have that playing like commercials and cartoons in the background. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, I was just, for some reason, my head popped to like TV's Playhouse. And, uh, it's just like, you know, really bizarre TV show that was targeted at kids back then. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but it's weird because like we loved it. And, and, uh, you know, my daughter's like seen the reruns of it on Netflix and like got into it when she was like five, loved it. Um, and I remember, like, you know, watching the clips of it as an adult, like thinking about it from back then. And I'm like, yeah, this is a really strange show. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that's another thing about the, the 80s is like a lot of the 80s was really inappropriate for kids, even in including the stuff that was for kids. Yeah. Um, you know, like the in ratings were way like, different. Now, yeah. Yeah. This this was this thing for children is very horrifying and 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 gothic yeah um you know like movies like uh the dark crystal and the black cauldron i mean the black cauldron you know it's a disney animated film uh and there's a guy he he gets shoved in the cauldron and then he just he just boils to death and the skin (laughs) falls off his bones yeah and that's a disney movie that that the 80s gave us um you know, Labyrinth is very terrifying and it's for children. Mm. Um, and uh, Legend with Tom Cruise, you know, which is kind of what inspired the video game, the Zelda video game series. Mm. And that movie's really unnerving to watch, as, you know, I think at a certain age. Um, of course, as a kid, we were fascinated with it. You know, we couldn't get enough of it. Um, the creepier, the better. Yeah. Uh, which is why I think so many of Gen X and the older millennials are. are kind of, you know, psychologically messed up. Yeah. Um, bet- between our aban- between our, our, our parents walking off and leaving us, you know, the last cute kid, and then the TV that raised us, is, mm-hmm. you know, oh, here's a, here's a cute kid's movie, and there's just somebody getting their skin peeled off their bones. Yeah, that's why I laugh when people are like, oh, yeah, these people are letting uh, the tablet babysit their children. I'm like, it's just a different format. Parents have been banning their children forever. Like, we... We grew up in front of the TV, um, and I'm sure you, you know, your whole generation, there's probably more memories sitting around the TV or playing outside by yourself somewhere where your parents were way far off. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't have a ton of, you know, memories of, like, me doing stuff with them. You know, in my childhood, childhood, you know, like, sort of zero to nine, you know, little kid years, it's you know, go to your room, play with Legos, play with He-Man, play with Ninja Turtles, or they're going to be like out for a while. And my, like, I, I just think I remember like nights where I'm like left alone, eight, nine years old. And my babysitter was straight up, not kidding you, 
uh, a VCR and like five or six tapes from the video store. Yeah. Um, half of which were inappropriate, you know, <laughs> you like, they didn't like, Hey, can like I get care. this one? And yeah. you know, like there's a robot on the cover there. You know, like, you know, dad's like, you know, that looks fun. He likes robots. And it's like, you know, the Terminator, <laughs> you know, um, RoboCop where he's like, you know, like a guy gets melted with toxic waste yeah. and, you know, and I'm like watching this movie at eight years old. Yeah. There's RoboCop virtually. and McDonald's toys too, which cracked me up. Cause that's like not the worth it for them, but yeah. Rambo had action figures <laughs> and RoboCop had action figures. Terminator had action figures by the end. And all these movies are rated R. Yeah. Like RoboCop's one of the RoboCop still to this day is one of the most violent movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a torture scene where he gets tortured to death at the beginning and they're like blowing parts of his body off. And yeah, just like I said, I'm watching this on, on home video, like <laughs> my mom and dad right there, like, kind of halfway paying attention to it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, this is fine. Um, and I had two older brothers. I guess they were supposed to be in charge or supervise me, but you know, they didn't. They just yeah. went off and did their own thing. Of course. You know, one of them was like a teenager. He had a girlfriend. You know, he was never home. Yeah, you were just an um, annoying brother that, you know, followed him around. So they distracted you any way they could, usually. Yeah. Um, and then the TV. And, you know, like, really and truly, like, I, I think TV... TV and movies raised me in the eighties and they in the early, like you were saying in the early nineties, I didn't even get cable where we lived where, as a child. My parents split up, uh, I think 91, 92 in there. And then my mom moved us to the suburbs and from like, we didn't really rural and didn't have kind of that kind of logistical network. So when we moved further into town, we got cable for the first time and, you know, that's when it really exploded to me. And I caught up, you know, all those rerun movies yeah. from the 80, from the mid to late eighties stuff. I might not have seen yet on, on tape. I finally got around to seeing on cable. Um, and yeah, it's like, I grew up on the TV and then the movies and to a lesser extent, the music. Um, uh, and uh, you know, it's weird. Cause like my memories are these artificial things created for us. Uh, that everybody has, right? Yeah. So my memories aren't, they're not special, they're not unique. Like I think, and I'm like, oh yeah, remember that time, uh, you know, MacGyver did that thing. Like everybody, that, oh, the, everybody that watched MacGyver remembers that. Yeah. You know? um, and you know, there's this sort of common experience that, you know, people who were raised like that, that, that were raised on media or raised on pop culture are going to have those elements in common. Um, and you know, I wonder how much of that's going to continue. I think, cause I think the nineties was very much the same way, yeah. even into the early two thousands. And then I think not until the age of streaming, does it really start to splinter out. And then now, now all of a sudden everything is instantaneous. You know, you can go in any direction you want to, you can watch stuff from 50 years ago. You can watch, you can pick like a super hardcore niche, right? I'm going to watch nothing but, you know, teen melodrama and, yeah there's, you know, there's millions of that. Right. Um, but until the format switched to on demand, I think those generations starting in the seventies really through, yeah, the, through 2010, back when you still had to be kind of sitting in one spot to yeah. watch a show, you mm -hmm. know, um, I think those generations from each era have that commonality. Um, 
And I wonder if that's going to continue now that everything is, you know, press of a button. Um, you know, like, like what show is everybody watching this week? You know, I don't yeah. know. Um, it's going to be different. I think the trends um, are still there, like Tiger King and stuff, but they seem to be really fast burnouts. Like where it's, yeah, you hear about a thing yeah. one week, and then a month later, you know, yeah, no one's nobody's talking, talking about, about it yeah. anymore. So I don't know if that will live, you know, ten years, fifteen years in your memory anymore, or if that's just something that was like super popular, and then let's move on to the next thing. Yeah, I think you're right, and it's weird because we have we have stuff now that we only could have dreamed of back then. Like there's an, oh, yeah. it's like there's a new there's a new big budget star Wars series now, like every few months. Um, and you know, we couldn't have, we could not have even imagined that. Like after return of the Jedi came out, you know, what was that? 83, 84. And then there's just nothing. You know, we were just ghosted. Yeah. Star Wars was the biggest thing of all time for, you know, like six and a half years. And then it was just over. You know, yeah. yeah, there were some comics, there were some, you know, sort of, you know, sort of pulp novels that they commissioned after that. But, you know, in, in terms of like big mainstream entertainment, the biggest thing went from 60 to zero. Yeah. And then for, you know, for 15 years, you know, and then we got episode one in 99. And by that time, all the, you know, by that time, all the 80s kids were 90s adults. And, yeah. You know, we were the that we were the worst possible group of people to have seen that movie yeah. when it came out in '99. Yeah, it's that's, like that's, you, you you just let a bunch of jaded, yeah. cynical, like you know, life has you know not been what we wanted it to be. '90s Gen Xers, yeah. and then you just turn us loose on Star Wars. That was that was a terrible. That was a recipe for disaster. Me and my um, um, former co-host used to talk about that all the time about. Um, I, I think that your penultimate of a trilogy of a series or whatever, it a lot of it has to do with when you're born. Um, because the first movie I ever saw of um, Indiana Jones was the Temple of Doom. So that's like my favorite indie movie. And yeah. a lot of people, you know, they're like, no, you know, <laughs> like that's not, that's not the right answer, I guess. <laughs> and so um, also, like I was the right age when the Star Wars episode one came out. Um, didn't, it wasn't like, Oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever, but I enjoyed it and didn't understand why people were hating it when I was younger. You know, now that I'm older, I can kind of see where it kind of changed completely from what Star Wars was and everything and why people were so upset. But yeah, like you said, it's, it's funny how, the generations see things differently. I'm sure there's kids now that are growing up and that, you know, these new star Wars are going to be the ones that they talk about forever. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I've noticed that now with several different of these franchises that have, you know, different iterations, you know, every 10, 15 some odd years. And then, you know, like I said, I was, you know, 19, 20 year old Gen Xer, you know, when the prequel started coming out and, you know, we, we, we gave it a hard time. You know, the, the, some of those reactions we had were not our finest hour. <laughs> um, and 
you know, now with all the other stuff that's come out and still coming out now pretty regularly. And it's almost like, it's like an embarrassment of riches at this point. It's like, wow, there's so much stuff. Um, and you know, now I, it's like, I'm sort of, you get divested at a certain point and then these other movies come out. I watch them, you know, I went and watched most of the new ones with my daughter, with, you know, with a kid. And then it's like, yeah, these seem fine. These seem fine. I don't, I don't, I don't have any issues with these. They're okay. Um, and then I see everybody else online, you know, maybe 10, 12, 15 years, years younger than I am. And they're like, they're trash and all these new movies are terrible. And and I'm just like, man, this is like rinse repeat, man. Um, you know, and, and I, I see it, I, you know, I, and I saw in that a mirror and I'm like, you know, I was like that with the prequels and that was probably unfair. And I think he trashed those movies too much. And yeah. we were just too old. You know, we were just the wrong people. Um, they waited it's too hard to let go of a thing. Yeah. yeah. It's, that much is a, is a lot. Is a, yeah. It's hard to ever meet your mark. Like, I mean, that long and people have been anticipating, anticipating, anticipating. And then you released anything. I don't know that anything could have been like, you know, a perfect bullseye for star Wars. There was going to be somebody that was angry because it didn't live up to the thing that they had in their head. Yeah. I think, yeah. And I think there's two things going on with that. You know, one nostalgia is a hell of a drug. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the way we misremember things from our childhood. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, this is true of any franchise uh, or even, you know, any media in any that has fans, anything that has fans and is continuing to be produced, right? Fans start to develop their own preferences, their own opinions, you know, their own desires. For, you know, well, I think this should happen. Right? And of course, every fan is different. Right? Yeah. So like you just said, like, you know, when you have these massive fandoms built up over decades, over multiple generations, you know, yeah, you, you, even if you target it perfectly at one group, another group looks at it and thinks, "Oh, that's that's terrible. It's completely inappropriate. That that character would never do that." Um, you know, and that's a hard thing to say because you know, at the end of the day, as as creators, as artists, as, as authors, you know, a character is, you know, it's a construction, it's a fiction, it's a, it's a make believe. Uh, sure, there should be consistency, there should be plausibility, believability, but at the end of the day, it's the artist's prerogative. If, yeah. You know, if the writer decides Luke Skywalker puts on a top hat and does the Charleston, then Luke Skywalker yeah. puts on a top hat and does the Charleston, right? That's what they wrote. Yeah. Um, you know, that's what you get. So, um, you know, and I don't know the antidote to that. Um, you know, I've had, you know, people at conventions ask me about, you know, what, what are you going to do for your next book? And they're like, you should do so-and-so with a character. And, you know, and they'll say like the most preposterous thing that I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll think about that. I'm not going to, you know, of course, I can't, you know, no, the church would never do that. Um, and, you know, like I think, I think I had one, and, and I had one in the book, in the first book in, in, in my 80s trilogy, I have this sort of set of side characters, a boy and his dad. Uh, the dad's a truck driver, the boy's kind of like a boy genius kind of inventor. And, you know, like I said, they're minor characters. There's a little bit of a subplot with them that wraps itself up by the end. And then, I never had, you know, further plans with them. And then, you know, uh, a buddy of mine was like, man, you should write a whole book about those two, like, pounding around. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I could. Uh, I hadn't planned on it, but, um, you know, that's an idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think you get a lot of that. And like I said, the bigger the creator, the bigger the fandom, 
you get that times a million, you know, and it's like, um, you know, of course you can't, and of course you can't let anybody die. Oh no, heaven's dead. You know, nobody can die. And then if they do die, they got to come, well, they're not really dead. They got to come back. Right. Um, I remember we were convinced for years, for years after Batman 1989 came out that Joker was coming back. Yeah. Oh, he's not really, he's not really dead. And of course, you know, it's like, we just watched him fall from like a hundred stories. <laughs> he's dead, you know? Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a thing with fandoms, you know, they're, they're never happy. And even, even when you give them exactly what they want, then all you get in return is them demanding more. Um, so yeah, you, you, you can't win from, yeah, from losing, I guess. Um, so, you know, I say, you know, the creators should just, you know, do what they want, take yeah. chances, go all out, um, be willing to fail. Like, I think that's a big thing that I think a lot of movies, especially, you know, big franchise properties now, are, um, they're sticking with a really safe formula and I get it from a financial standpoint, but, yeah. um, I like how, you know, I like a movie you didn't see coming, um, you know, kind of in the year 99, that was what happened with the Matrix. You know, Star Wars was the movie we were like waiting 15 years for. And yeah. Matrix, we never saw that coming. And then and then that just hit the ground running and, and just ran away with you know, everybody's imagination. It ended up being the movie that year. Um, uh, so I like when that happens, you know. Um because you know nobody saw Star Wars coming in 1977. Yeah, it was um, just kind of like game changing. Yeah, um, and I'm trying to think. You know, when was the last time something like that happened? Where you know, just this completely unheard of property, and it just sort of ran away with everybody. You know, maybe John Wick. I don't know. Um, maybe Avatar. Um, yeah, but may, but not quite as extreme. Like I mean, everybody. It wasn't. It was national news for a long time, but I don't think it was quite as big. Avatar was a big deal. I remember that. You know what was that? Twelve years ago. Oh, it seems Thirteen like years ago, now. I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was the biggest movie of all time. You know, box office success wise. Yeah. And I think it still technically holds that record. I think they get a re-release right after yeah, Endgame and yeah. nudge it back over. You know, yeah. it's like it's like a dirty move. <laughs> it's but it's basically a you know a photo finish right now between Avatar and, and Endgame. Yeah. Um, but I think Avatar is on on top of the list at the moment. At the moment, you know, that's another um, um, property that's been waiting so long that now the anticipation. I don't know what to expect, and that kind of scary. It's like, will it fail? I know that it's such an odd thing because yeah, it was the biggest high person movie of all time, you know, close to 3 billion worldwide box office. And, and then, yeah, like, and then, and then you just didn't hear about it again for a decade. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if there's going to be as much hype for that. Um, you know, cause that was one thing, you know, Star Wars did have going in, in its favor is you had, First of all, you had the three movies that came out back to back back then, yeah. right? So instead of just one big one, you had three big ones. Then you had just a million toys, and they were, all those toys were still circulating the garage sales for years. 
And then the comic books hit in the 80s and the franchise novels hit in the 90s. I actually read a couple of those. Um, you know, they were they were whatever. You know, a couple of them were entertaining. Most of them I didn't I didn't think they were that great. But there was something to keep that brand alive, yeah. you know? And then with, with Avatar, you've just got the one movie that yeah. I know of. Uh, and maybe I'm missing something here. You know, maybe there are comics or something. I'm just not aware There's of some it, video but, games and stuff, but I mean, nothing major. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, I, I remember I saw it, you know, I went to the theater and saw it at the time. You know, it was a big new technology, the, the imp- new and improved 3D technology. Yeah. And, you know, I watched the movie and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know, that was neat. And then, and then didn't really think of it again. Um, and now, you know, I'd have to probably go back and rewatch it. I remember the basics of it, you know, the blue aliens, the, yeah. you know, the rainforest, you know, the flying, the flying uh, animals, yeah, not quite like dragon, but something like that. Yeah. Things with their ponytails. That was kind of different. Yeah. <laughs> that was the, you know, the, the sort of intimate connection with their hair, ten, their head tendrils. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then the mech warrior fight at the end. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. It's James Cameron. I know that he's very like a perfectionist. I, I know that like by watching some of his documentary behind the scenes stuff. Um, but like he just used the Titanic money to go, look at the Titanic under sea, you know, like I, I kind of wonder what his long game is for keeping this project going for so long. He's an odd guy, you know, he'll, he'll come in to, a, to, you know, something and, you know, he'll make this like big epic thing. And then, and then he'll just sort of like lay low for a while. And then the next thing he does is like completely off brand you know, from the last thing he did. It would be um, maddening if he was just using movies to like pay for the other interesting things he's interested in. Like he doesn't care about movies, you know, like that would be something he would probably keep close to the vest, but it would be kind of maddening to other people that try really, really hard to make good movies and fail. Yeah. It does seem starting with the abyss that almost, that most of his big projects starting with the abyss, Terminator two Titanic, and then Avatar, it's almost, it's almost like each time he's trying to create a whole new method of movie making, yeah. including a whole new method of special effects, you know, because the abyss is one of the first ones that really effectively used uh, computer animation for, mm-hmm. for the special effects, you know, for those water aliens. And it, and it looks good, you know, it's kind the of abyss still holds movie, up. actually, like I, yeah. I rewatched it recently and it's not as bad as some people say. Yeah, and then and then of course Terminator Two was revolutionary in its use of, of special effects, right? You know that that movie needs no introduction in terms of its place in history. And then Titanic, right? Which biggest movie of all time for you know a little over a decade? Yeah, and just a total genre switch for him too, right? Yeah, he, he writes this this like epic, you know, disaster film and, and and a tragic love story. So you know, sort of like embedded in amidst it, and then you know, shoots this monumental movie. I remember when, right before it came out, we had all heard the reports of how much money he spent on the yeah. budget for that movie, like building a, a replica. He built like multiple replicas of the Titanic at different scales, yeah. you know, and then, and then replicas of like certain rooms within it for the set and stuff like that. And, and it was just like absurd, 
And we were like, that movie's never going to make its money back. It's going to bomb. Yeah. You know, and then of course, you know, the rest is history. But, um, yeah, we just didn't know what to think with, in terms of the genre. We're like, so this is the Terminator aliens, the Biff guy, and he's doing, he's doing this. Yeah. And then, and then, but he obviously knew what he was doing. Yeah. You know, he, he had his finger on the pulse and they, and then like I said, 12 years later, turns around, he does it again with Avatar. Yeah. Um, like he, it's like, you know, the guy knows how to catch lightning in a bottle. I give him that. So, um, you know, he, I don't know what he's up to right now, but, uh, if he's still got anything left in the tank, you know, I'll be happy to take a look at what he, what, take a look at it when it comes out. Yeah. There's a couple of authors of books that I've actually, um, started reading and then the series is like waiting on the author and um i try not to to read a ton of people that books that are like in their 60s and there's like six books left in the series because i'm like uh you know like that's a lot to ask of someone to like pump out six books before they pass away and um especially epic ones you know and um it's kind of like that too you know you're you're you wonder is he going to actually release these before he dies? Cause what, how many movies was there supposed to be in that series? Wasn't it like four? And avatar. Yeah. I, I remember vaguely mention of a trilogy, you know? Um, and then, you know, I like said that was, if I remember right, I think the, I think avatar came out in 2009 or 10. What year did that come out? Um, 2009 yeah so and then you know i think avatar 2 is still allegedly coming out december of this year you know so it's supposedly going to exist um you know like i said i'll be very curious you know happy to go sit down and watch it you know one of the great things about that movie is 90 percent of it was cg so it doesn't really matter if the actors of age yeah yeah um because wasn't Zoe Saldana one of the aliens, you know, or rather she did the voice and, and the, they patterned the face of the yeah. alien after her, right? Yeah, I remember that. Um, and then, yeah, Sam Worthington, he played the lead. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the first movie, you know, he's in, has the mind transfer, so he has an alien body now. So they don't have to worry about him looking 12 years older. Yeah, just use his voice. Um, <laughs> that was smart, yeah. actually. Um, oh, it looks like Vin Diesel and Kate Winslet have signed on for the sequel. Oh boy. Apparently. Yeah. There you go. Um, and Sigourney Weaver returning. Jeez. Um, we'll see if he comes out. That's the question too. Yeah. Well, you know, Sigourney's one of uh, Cameron's favorites, like working with her. Yeah. Great actress. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as like, you know, churning out books, you know, I always think, you know, for every, you know, for every George R. R. Martin that, you know, here, here is everybody waiting, his fans waiting, what, five, six, six years between mm-hmm. books, you know, for him to come out with the next one. And, you know, and everybody always says, oh, well, his books are like a thousand pages. It takes him a long time to write those. And I was like, yeah, well, surely it does. Right. I'm not discounting that, but and I think Stephen King dropped 2000 pages this year, you know, yeah. um, which seems to be about average for that guy. And he's 80. Yeah. Um, and then that uh, you heard about Brandon Sanderson, right? Like he 
he got so bored during the pandemic, he just wrote four novels on spec yeah. and then decided to self-publish them. And he threw it up there on Kickstarter and raised $25 million in like a week. Yeah, like yeah, broke all kinds of records for authors. It was crazy. Yeah, um, I'm just in there thinking about it, you know, as a self-publisher. Like the way, because the way you say, you know, I didn't look at the fine print of the details. And, you know, I'm sure he make, I'm sure he's got enough money to hire a staff. Yeah, but still, like the thought of it shocked me at the moment. He was like, "Wait, he raised 25 million and and because those are, you know, those aren't donations; those are orders. That's pre-orders. Yeah. You know, so those are sales. I mean, so he 25 million. That's a lot of copies of a book. And Especially I'm like, in 2022. He's going to end up having to hire a publisher basically to do that logistics for him. You know, I'm just sitting there like the thought of mailing out books, you know, when I, you know, you're your average self publisher, you know, in independent, you know, author, something like that, you know, you're, you might on a good week, you know, you had a, uh, an author event or something like that. You get some, some, you know, some orders, you're mailing out 10, 12, 15 copies a week. That's, mm-hmm. you know, three or four different days a week, you know, having to go by the post office, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, pre-selling that many and looking that many envelopes, as they say, um, you know, a friend of mine did an independent comic run on Kickstarter a while back and, you know, he did really well with it, but I just remember like he did better than he hoped so that he got kind of backed up on getting all the orders out. Cause it's, you know, a lot of these, you know, guys are just sort of one man shop, mm-hmm. you know? And then, He's like, all right, well, I sold 10,000 in the Kickstarter, which means I got to lick, you know, I got to stuff 10,000 envelopes with this, with this book. Um, that's going to take a while. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's sort of daunting, the idea of, of that. But yeah, I think at that level of scale, you have to just sort of hire a staff. And maybe even, I would even consider, you know, subcontract that. Like, yeah. You know, send somebody else the file. Like, here's the file. You print this out, mail everything out. But yeah, I, of I'm sure he's on the hook. Yeah, I, I definitely um, have all the respect for like independent um, like works. Um, I can't imagine self publishing and having to send out everything, especially if it's like a super popular product. Like you said, I I was published last year. And thank God I didn't have to do any of the logistics of it. Um, like I can't like that. There's a certain respect that I have for people that, you know, are doing it all in the garage or whatever. That's, there's a lot that goes into that, that people don't even think about. Oh yeah. When you wear all the hats, it, it's, it, it's hectic. It piles up on you. I mean, um, even, and, and, you know, even when you're not selling a lot of units, you know, like if you're not a known name, you're not a popular creator, you're not a popular author, right? Um, it's still like, you, you know, if it's, you you write the book, you, you know, you, then you have to edit it, right? And if you're solo, you got to hire your own editor or, mm-hmm. or you know, um, then you've got to format it, which a lot of the stuff, yeah, you can subcontract. You can hire somebody to format it for a hundred bucks or whatever. Um, you can hire a cover artist, which of course I, I always highly recommend any, any solo publishers. I always recommend at minimum, yeah, hire out your cover art, uh, unless you're the world, unless you just happen to be a graphic designer, in which case, um, you know, have at it, but yeah, definitely hire out the cover art. 
and definitely have, you know, have some kind of outside editing, you know, don't trust yourself. Um, that, that's to me, that's the minimum. Um, but then there's, like I said, then there's final formatting, final typesetting. Um, you know, then you gotta, you know, you gotta run your arcs. You gotta have copies printed off, sent to you for review. You're going to find some typos, you know, they, they cut, they cut half the title on the cover off, but you know, it's all, everything like that. Then you're back to the drawing board, right? You know, yeah. go back, adjust it, fix it again. Um, and then it's quote ready. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, then you have to deal with any pre pre, if you did physical pre-orders through a, through a website, through a GoFundMe or whatever, you got to print all those off, ship them to yourself, sign them, stuff them, mail them out. Um, and then, yeah, then you got to do your own marketing promoting. You got to, you know, if you're going to buy ads on Amazon, Facebook, you got to do all that. Um, if you're going to run local promotions, you got to set all that up. Um, and of course, you know, with self-published with authors, most of the time bookstores don't really want to talk to you. They want to stick with a known entity, you know, with an established publisher. And there's a perfectly valid reason for that, which is that established publishers allow uh, returns of non-sold books. Um, in order for the bookstore to get a refund. So they buy it wholesale, it doesn't sell, they send it back to the uh, publisher, they get a refund on that wholesale. So, um, it's just simple business. They don't want to work with independent authors because they can't do returns. Yeah. Yeah, just watching him like do his live signings where he talks about, like does question and answers while he signs books is kind of like exhausting. I can't imagine signing 2,000 pages or 2,000 book covers in, like, 30 minutes or whatever he does. Yeah, that that's daunting. Um, I'm just, now I'm sitting here thinking about how many how many fresh pins does he go through. Oh, man, I don't know. Why is he not sponsored by pins if he's not? That, that's what I want to know. Yeah. That would be an amazing yeah. sponsorship to have, just, like, have a stack of boxes of pins. Um, but, yeah, I... I'm just now filling out my son. My son's eighth birthday is coming up and just oh, his, wow. his, um, uh, announcements or whatever, like his invitations. Um, I'm having to write like six lines of, you know, print and <laughs> it's like only 30 something kids in his class. And I'm, my hand was hurting after I can't imagine, you know, writing the same thing over and over and over like that. He could probably sign in his sleep. I'm sure. Oh yeah, you get used to it. Uh, especially if it's your signature, you know. You think about how many times you write your signature on things. Yeah, uh, you can do it in your sleep. But yeah, I was thinking about my my daughter's ninth birthday is coming up, and of course we just did, you know, for the most part digital. We just sent out texts and a few things like that. Yeah, I should have done that. Um, but yeah he's having yeah. a nerf party where uh we bought some barricades like some uh blow up barricades that we can blow up with my uh air compressor and we're going to the park uh and he's got a ton of nerf guns so we're gonna lend them out and uh play different games you know like different kinds of games like uh free for all and team deathmatch and stuff like that and for three hours so hopefully That's it's cool. it's not cold or snowing or anything like that <laughs> knowing this weird weather Man. we've had yeah I, I wish you luck uh it's we're getting a cold front coming through down here so we're gonna we're gonna be at like 
40 degrees that day of our party this weekend. So, um, yeah, you know, best of luck up there in Oklahoma. You're, you're a a good bit further North, but then again, you're also a good bit further West. So, you know, you might get lucky. Yeah. It's literally going to be 74 degrees and the next day. It'll be under freezing. So it's like, what the heck? You get used to one and then, you know, it's bipolar, but so, um, I do have some listener questions if you want, um, I can ask you those real quick. Sure. Go ahead. Hey, uh, what's your favorite NES or super NES games? Ooh, NES or super NES. Um, for NES, uh, I never actually owned one. I always played with, I always had to play with my friends. So I only got snippets of the NES, but I loved, so Tecmo Super Bowl for the NES. Yeah. I uh, loved that game. And my brothers and I, we'd play it sometimes with our um, cousin that had it. And we figured out there was a, I don't want to call it a glitch, but the way that game, you know, the way the math worked in that game, yeah. you know, mathematical probabilities. So if you picked San Francisco and you picked a passing play, you know, when you go to your select play menu, yeah. right before the, the, you know, the down, as long as, so as long as you picked a pass and there was always an option to pass it to Jerry Rice. So you had Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and the stats on the two of those together using the probability math in that game, you were guaranteed a pass completion every time. So you just like, you could, you just run back with Joe Montana, you know, run like five, 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage and just launch the ball long, deep pass down the field. And Jerry Rice was going to catch it every single time. And then end zone, instant touchdown. And everybody we played would get so mad throwing the controllers, you know, because they'd always pick their favorite team. Right. Yeah. And down here, of course, that's the Saints, right? Well, the Saints were terrible in the 80s. Yeah. So their stats were awful. Right. Or they might pick the Raiders. You know, the, the whole point is they pick your, you, you pick your favorite team, but they based it on the real stats of the real players. So San Francisco was unbeatable. Yeah. Because it was just, the game just ran off math, and Jerry Rice was never going to drop that ball. That's awesome. Um, uh, other than that, for NES, I like Super Mario 3. Um, and then I, let's see, because I didn't have one, I didn't play a lot of those at the time back then. Uh, Zelda, the original Legend of Zelda, big one. Metroid, a little bit. Um, now, for Super NES, I had that system in the 90s. I loved that one. And I could just, talk about games for that system all day long. I yeah. You know, even the standard game that came with it, Super Mario World, I thought was fun, but Zelda for Super NES was one of the best games of all time. Um, then uh, all the fighting, you know, fighting games hit huge in the 90s. So Street Fighter 2, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat 2, Mortal Kombat 3, um, Primal Rage, you know, I think the first, uh, did the first Tekken come out or was that later? I can't remember. I don't if it came out on that system. Then there was Super Star Wars, Super Empire Strikes Back, and Super Return of the Jedi. Those were fun little side scrollers. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, there was a, a few other games. But, yeah, like I said, that's just 
you know, off the top of my head, the stuff that, you know, we played the hell out of yeah, for I, that system. I got, and my dad had an NES when he was, um, I guess right after college. And so I had it when growing up till I was, you know, like five or six, I think I played it, um, too old or too early to play a video game and actually know what I was doing. So I, I had no concept. I just knew that it was fun. And, um, duck hunt was also, you know, something that I could play at a real young age. And then, um, I think after that, my first console was the Sega Genesis. And then shortly after that, I got an N64 and then, you know, PlayStation and it went from there. But yeah, there's a lot of, I never got the Super NES. My friend had it down the street. So if I didn't want to play, I'd have to go there. But at our, um, at our video store in town, we had two of them. They were right across the street from each other, you know, different, way different times back then. (laughs) But um, one of them would let you rent the game system with a couple games. And so a perfect Friday night for me was my parents would go get pizza and then we would go pick out, you know, two or three games and rent the Super NES and just play all weekend. Yeah, that's cool. I remember that same era, yeah, where video stores, you could, they started renting out the system, um, you know, for the weekend or whatever. Um, it was the same way with me and a bunch of my friends, 13, 14, 15 years old in the 90s. And yeah, I had the Super Nintendo and about half my friends had the Genesis and half of us, you know, so it was like, and what sucked is so you couldn't, you couldn't swap games, right? Yeah. So, you know, I remember, you know, my, my buddy got the, they had the Mortal Kombat. If I, I'm trying to remember this. If I remember, there was a big controversy with Mortal Kombat. I think it was one of the systems you couldn't do fatalities or they took the blood away or something. Yeah. And I, I can't remember which system didn't have it. I don't remember if it was me that didn't have blood or if it was them that didn't have blood, but it was weird. Yeah, the Sega Genesis um, definitely had the blood. Yeah, so then it must have been me that didn't have the blood yeah. or they changed the color of the blood to black or something like that. But, um. It was so funny. Yeah. Uh, um, and then we lost our minds when that movie came out, which in retrospect was a terrible movie, but we <laughs> loved it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, that one in Double Dragon, where um, it was the, I don't remember which Double Dragon it was, but it was the one where it wasn't a, it wasn't a side scroller or a beat em up. It was a, um, like a fight, like kind of like Mortal Kombat. And it was on Sega Genesis, and I freaking love that game. Oh, yeah. That was cool. Yeah, it, Those were fun. it was harder to uh, spam a button. Um, and so Mortal Kombat sucked because my friend and my cousin both figured out that if you crouch and somebody walks up to you, you can just uppercut them until they, they're dead. Well, with the other one, you know, you had to be a little more clever. So I liked it a lot better. It gave me better chances. Oh yeah. Um, I would always do that with with, with Street Fighter Two in particular. I had my a handful of like my cheese ball characters, but if I really wanted to show off, I would always I would pick Guile, and then just throw I would do aerial uh, body slams, and you know I, I got so good at those I'd catch everybody every time. As soon as they jumped, I'd run up and catch them in the air and do an aerial <laughs> body slam, yeah. which was like 
and one of those aerial body slams took half your life meter in one hit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my brother, my friend from the, down the street, you know, just like lose their mind every time aerial body slam dead. Um, Um, but yeah, the, the nineties, uh, console wars was a fun, yeah. it was an interesting time. Yeah. It was, um, it was a lot of fun. And like, I, I honestly think there could be a whole podcast episode about that. It's uh, most of my really good memories involve, you know, some kind of console or around a console with my friends when I was younger. Oh yeah. Like, that was a, you know, that was the, as soon as the first Nintendo hit the, hit the market, that was the toy. Yeah. Um, and then every subsequent generation console through the nineties. And I, I don't know, as far as I can tell from my vantage point now, you know, at this point I'm kind of old. It's hard to say what, what really matters to young kids now, but it does still seem kind of like the consoles are king. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody wants a new, you know, PlayStation Five. Hell, I want a PlayStation Five. You yeah. can't get them. Um, you know, the new Xbox uh, Series, same thing, hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, new graphics card for the PC. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you want a, a good, be a, a solid PC build, good luck. Um, I was looking at the Steam Deck just because, you know. It's almost like, well, uh, who knows when I'll find a PlayStation? Uh, let me look at this Steam Deck. Yeah, maybe that's worth maybe that's worth looking into. Yeah. Um, part of it is, you know, I get busy with work and dad stuff, and you know, I'll play a video game like once, twice, three times a year, maybe. So it's I'm not over here like desperately hurting from not having the the newest console, you know. But it is it is a little bit, you know. Odd, annoying. You know, I think about. Oh yeah, let me see if I, let me see if the PlayStation is. Nope, still can't get one. Okay, <laughs> well, I'll check back in two months when I think yeah. about it again. Um. Uh, but yeah, that still seems like the toy that you know, kids, especially te- young teenagers. You know, seems to be what everybody wants is, is games. Um, you know, action figures is like that died in the nineties. Yeah. Um, action figures were king in the eighties and then the Nintendo killed them. Um, it's like, never mind. You can actually live out the fantasy, right? Um, I think that's what video games gave us. It, it was a video game is basically a better version of the action figure in a lot of ways. I think if you think about it. Yeah. And now they're like interactive movies, especially with like VR and stuff. Oh yeah. Um, the last of us series. Those are basically movies yeah. where you push a button every, every 15 minutes. I remember I kept dying in the first one cause I got so caught up in the movie of it. And then all of a sudden it's like press X and I'm like, wait, what was my controller? Yeah. And then I get bit, you know, then I get bit by the zombie and I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's, you know, and the graphics for the new ones is, you know, we're, I think we're, I think we, I think with PlayStation four and that generation of consoles, uh, Xbox 360. I think that was the uncanny valley. And now I think we're crossing it. I think we're getting past the uncanny valley. And I think with PS5 gen, you know, uh, and then especially whatever the next generation after this, I think we're in like photorealism for yeah. graphics. Um, 
Like it's nuts. My grandma definitely uh, can't tell the difference. Uh, I was playing some NBA uh, 2K, and she came in and uh, at her house because I was playing with my son, and uh, she was cheering for the Thunder, uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, and uh, we paused it and went to get a drink or something. And she was like, "What happened?" And I was like, "Well, we just paused it. We're gonna go get a drink." And she goes, "Oh, they're not playing ball right now." <laughs> no, sorry. That's wild. Yeah, that's. It, um, it makes me wonder. You know, are, you know the, these graphics engines. You know, on Unreal Engine, next generation, that kind of stuff. Like, are we going to get to a point where the average person, you know, with a decent enough, you know, rig you know, PC rig at their house, are they just going to be start, are they just going to start making like nearly photorealistic, you know, movies that are all CG, right? Yeah. Like, is that a technology that, that we're going to live to see in the next 10, 15 years? Yeah, where, that's definitely interesting. You know, yeah, like never mind a $200 million budget, you know, Marvel movie. You know, what if, what if it's just some guy in his, you know, in a spare bedroom, you know, he just, yeah, you know, kind of putting this together slowly but surely over the course of a year or so, right? It's all CG. Um, yeah, we're definitely seeing that about. music right now. Um, I think this yeah. is the first time in human history that it's been so easy to record um, music at a professional level that you could only get in studios or you know, like million dollar setups before. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And I've seen a lot of that um, come through, like, especially in, um, there's a couple of guys on TikTok like that I follow where they play every piece themselves, either different instruments or using digital, mm-hmm. and they just record each track separately. And what they'll do is they'll do a TikTok series where they show off the whole concept where, so this video they're doing just the drums, this video they're doing just the rhythm, the suit video, they're doing bass, right? And then eventually they add all the videos together, mix all that sound, and there's the song, you know? Yeah, and you're that's a whole nother level of investment for your audience, too. Yeah, it was neat. Um, I don't know, man. It's, uh, you know, it's a bold new world out there as far as all this stuff goes, and I'm just trying to, like, keep up with it as much as I can and not become like, you know, the stereotypical, like old man can't work phone meme. Yeah. Um, uh, so, and it's, it's cool though. Like, you know, uh, in some ways it's like the promise of all the science fiction of, of my youth is like finally starting to come, come true. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're starting it's to see like, the tech that you saw in the early like seventies be even more realistic now. Um, and that's one like, you know, everything, you know, pop culture, movies, TV, in some ways they always like show off the technology, but half the time or more, it's always like, you know, especially with sci-fi, it's always like a warning, right? You know, all oh, the sci-fi, you know, this tech will be bad. It'll ruin society. It'll destroy the world. Right? Um, and you know, now that we're coming through it and it's, you know, it's the age old, you know, the, the, the great question, right. Asked by, um, Ian Malcolm and, and, and Jurassic Park, you know, you, you were so, you know, caught up with whether or not you, you could, you, you forgot to ask whether or not you should. 
Um, but you know, I think as, as far as like, especially with certain aspects of tech, like, you know, you know, why not? Right. Like we can build this thing. Why not build it? Um, and my big question that, you know, I want to explore in, in, in an, a sort of a, in a future series of books, you know, that I think I want to start writing a spinoff of my eighties trilogy. And so, you know, we're set in the, in the nineties, like, you know, this world, you know, cause it's a sci-fi, it's a sci-fi trilogy set in the eighties, you know, very sort of otherworldly alien yeah. future technology coming to earth, that sort of stuff. So the repercussions of it, I think are, worth exploring like and you take something like terminator the matrix any of these you know the the computer becomes self-aware you know the ai goes sentient and always you know and then every version of this right you know it's always us versus the machine right yeah yeah and like my question is yeah the computer becomes self-aware you know the ai the ai becomes sentient right it, it then becomes master of its own destiny blah 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 but what if what if it's cool? Like what if Skynet was just cool? Yeah. Like, yes, still self-aware, still fully sentient, still completely independent and autonomous, but like not our enemy, like just sort of, you know, over there doing their thing, you know, like not threatened by us, not threatening to us. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, like, like what would that story be like? Yeah. Like here is this, this thing, it exists, right? It, it's now a sort of part of the world and nature. Um, but it is not our enemy. Um, That's an know, interesting like, what, concept because, like, would it pull away um, and form its own, you know, government and, and um, like, colonize somewhere else? You know, like, pull um, back away yeah. from humanity you want to get away? Because they're treated as servants here, and now they're like, you know, let's go do our own thing somewhere else where humans can't reach us. So somewhere, you know, like the frozen tundra or something. Yeah. Um, and I think it's like you know, think about our place, you know, in in the biological, you know, animal kingdom, right? Uh, you know, in earlier eras of evolution, you know, Homo sapien, you know, Homo erectus, that sort of thing, you know. We're, we're not top of the food chain, right? We go far enough back in history. We're not top of the food chain, right? There's bears, you know, there's the woolly mammoth, there's Siberian tiger or saber tooth tigers, all that. You know. like, we're kind of like right there in the middle, you know, and then, you know, through eventually evolution, advancement tools, technologies that we build. And, you know, you get to a certain level of, you know, paleolithic era. And then, yeah, even, even with just spears and rocks, you know, we've kind of taken control and now look at where we are. And like, so yeah, I mean, think about like, like what is a bear doing? What's a bear thinking when it looks at us? Yeah. Right. Or a chimp, you know, a chimpanzee or an orangutan, like, uh, you know, one of the great apes, like they look at us. What do you think they think? Right. Like they're over there doing their thing. We're over here doing our thing. Um, how much, and really and truly, like, how much do you think about them? Like, how often do you think, how often, in all honesty, do you think about, you know, the really orangutan, you know, in the yeah. jungle? You don't probably give them much thought, right? Uh, Why unless would you? you're Joe Rogan, you don't really talk, talk about Yeah, Joe often. Rogan. 
Well, and so I wonder, you know, is that where AI will go once it's once it once it achieves sentience? Is it going to be like we were, like we became to the other animals? Like, you know, it's not like animals are our enemies, right? We don't care. Um, I mean, sure, if we decide we're going to build a highway through this patch of forest, then we're going to do it, right? Yeah. But we mean no harm to the animals there. It's just, sorry, dude, we're going to clear these trees and build this road. Yeah. Um, you, you guys should move on. Um, it makes me think about maybe that's what we're looking at, you know, a hundred years from now with AI. Because yeah, um, I don't think it's, it's feasible. You know, it's not necessarily everything doesn't have to be Planet of the Apes. Um, I think, you know, when you do flip something on its head, it doesn't necessarily go to the human thought of let's kill it off kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So I think that's very interesting, and there's a lot of different pathways that could take. That is, that's super interesting. Yeah. Um I think we're definitely going to go through a transition period where, you know, all of these so-called AIs, uh, I don't, I don't think we're really, I don't think it's true AI, you know, like when you talk to Siri or whatever, you talk to Google, I don't think that's true AI. Yeah. I think those are just really good programs. Um, uh, but you know, I think we will get to a level of ubiquity where we're getting used to these digital assistants. And they're going to do more and more and more for us. Um, but yeah, as far as like achieving the point where the AI is truly quote self-aware, I don't know when that, I don't know when we're, we can expect that to start becoming a, a real plausibility. Um, and you know, I've, I've seen some, you know, tech philosophers you know, pose the question, like how would we even know? Right. Um, how do you really know? Like, how do you know that a dolphin isn't sentient? Right. Yeah. Um, so it'll be a, I think it'll be a weird transitionary few decades before we really become comfortable with the idea of it, even acknowledging that they've achieved any sort of awareness of, of, of their existence. Yeah. I know a lot of, um, like smarter minds than me have definitely, you know, talked about it definitely being just a matter of time before things take over. Um, the AI becoming, you know, all like, like you said, sentient and just kind of, um, understanding that it is, there is a difference between us and them. Um, and I think that's, like you said, a super interesting topic. I, I think that could be a whole series of books yeah, like I said, it's something I'm I'm serious with. Because um, I, you know, I had a I had a really minor character in my, in my '80s series of books that was an android, and um, like you know, and like I said, you know, if I, if I did it, you know, if I did some spinoff, you know, that would be one of the characters I would want to really do something with, is, you know, because um, you know, like I said, I like that idea of you know, what if the AI is perfectly cool and, and chill, you know, I mean, you know, it's, and then the other thing is that I want to play with as an idea for storytelling. And of course this goes against traditional advice. So maybe this is a bad idea, but you think of every big franchise, Star Wars, Marvel, DC, Blade Runner, uh, you know, any big bombastic, you know, larger than life kind of franchise, or yeah. even fantasy, you can go fantasy, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. Right. And 
you know, it's always building towards this, you know, this big climactic battle. And then, you know, that one's over, you know, they beat Thanos, you know, they beat Loki, they beat Ultron, they beat Thanos. And now we're, seems like we're building towards some new big thing. We don't know what yet. Right. And, you know, DC, we're building toward dark side, apocalypse, war of the world, you know, Lord of the Rings, we're battle of, you know, five armies, you know, it's always about ratcheting up, you know, the, the tension, like whatever you defeated in the last story, the, the next one has to be even bigger and more danger and more war and more battles. And, you know, I think uh, 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 that's another thing. That's another story I want to tell is once you, what happens if you win? Like you, you won past tense, that's over. And now you go back to work. Yeah. Like imagine if, the, you know, imagine they make a movie in the Marvel universe. It have you know, comes after in game or whatever, you know what? So whatever the big cataclysmic thing is. Right? And instead of, you know, opening up some new can of worms, Spider-Man opens up the gateway and now all the multiverses are converging on him. And like, what if the whole movie had been just him struggling to get into MIT? Yeah. Like no big, no big named villain, no costumed, you know, antagonist. No, like he's just trying to get into college. And that's like a whole story. I mean, I know, like I said, probably the fans would go nuts. Like, this is stupid. This is boring. Like, why are you telling us this story? But, but what would happen in, in such a universe where the big danger never comes again? Yeah. And you won. Like I said, you know, you won past tense. Yeah. I think um, there's some interesting parallels between that and like soldiers coming back from war. Um, like that you could, elaborate in as finding out um like how do you go back to not being needed um you you know all these superheroes are pretty much made for war and made for the next big thing and that some of them have literally been designed for that and then what happens if there's no war for them to fight like how do they integrate back into just society yeah like i said that's that, and I, was, I had the exact same thought. Um, and I was actually talking to some of my friends that, you know, were in the military, you know, that, that, you know, served in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, you know, and I asked them straight up, I was like, Did, would you consider these kinds of characters, like these superheroes that fought in these, these big battles, would you, as a war veteran, consider, if that were real, would you consider them also war veterans, even though they're not technically military? Yeah. And they, you know, most of the guys I talked to said, yeah, yeah, I would. I mean, a, you know, a war is a war. And if you fought, you fought. Um, and, he, you know, one guy was even explaining to me the concept of non-uniformed, you know, combatants and stuff like that. He, he got into like technical terminology I wasn't familiar with. So I thought it was all very interesting. So, yeah. um, and, the, but yeah, I mean, either way, you know, whether you consider them quote veterans or not, they still were, you know, participants in a war. And thus would have, you know, PTSD. They would have these experiences that that they don't share with maybe the average person. And yet, like I said, so without the next fight for them to fight, yeah, like, you know, what is, you know, does Steve Rogers go to work at Target? Like, you know, uh, you know, and of course, they've in terms of actual war, they, you know, they've made that movie. That was the original Rambo. They've made several versions of that. And like I said, I just, I'm fascinated with the idea of these, 
like I said, these, these super beings, these extra normal characters. Um, and there is no more great epic, you know, otherworldly invasion for them to stop anymore. There are no more demons to fight. The only demon left now is, you know, like, should I tell my boyfriend I fought, you know, a tentacle alien? Uh, like, like on what date do I mention that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think another you know? interesting avenue of that whole storyline would be also, what do they do if they get bored? Because, there, you know, as, at a certain time, you're going to have growing pains of getting back into society. Well, what about the ones that don't? integrate back or can't um do they start problems and become the big bad because you know they're tired of just civilian life and then um i think the the closest marvel ever got to even kind of dealing with like the ptsd side of stuff was um spoilers for hawkeye it's just a slight one but he has to have hearing aids um yeah because of all the explosion and he's human around all these, you know, gods fighting basically. And so, um, like I thought that was super interesting that they went into that and him having kind of like a PTSD kind of, you know, couple moments. Yeah. I love that aspect of that, of that series. Um, there was that one episode, I think it was episode four or five where he's just hold up, he's just hold up in his apartment in the city and he's taping frozen peas to every part of his body. <laughs> it really, and I thought, <laughs> Yeah, and I was just like, man, I could. I thought that too. I was like, well, I could watch a whole movie of this. Oh yeah, you know? of course. Um, or that scene in Endgame at the beginning when Steve Rogers is in the support group, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, this. I could. I could watch a whole ninety-minute movie of 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 just stuff like this, you know, like yeah. uh, like I would watch a I would watch a movie or a short TV series of you know a guy who is an insurance claims adjuster in the world of Marvel. Yeah. Like, yeah. what do you do for a living? Oh, I'll work insurance. Oh, that must be an interesting job. You know, that's like one he goes thing. To survey the, yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that they've, I feel like they've really missed the opportunity unless they've got something in the works, but, um, the snap, like for the average people, what that must've been like, um, just doing your daily, you know, crap. And then Dano snaps half of the population away. Like oh, yeah. they've, they've, you know, shown bits and pieces of it, but I mean, like there hasn't been like a dedicated like storyline that was just about that. And I think that the kind of trauma that would bring, and especially if you're just living your life and these, you know, godlike creatures are out destroying towns and stuff, trying to save you. Like it's gotta be, there's gotta be like a whole support group just for those, you know, people like civilians. Yeah, I, I definitely think they handled the snap oddly in the in that you know that narrative because they do seem to be sort of now just sort of like waving it off. Yeah, you know, like okay, yeah, that happened and it was a thing, and now anyway, uh, back to these stories. Yeah, and like yeah, like when half of all sentient life is wiped away and then brought back five years later, right? And it's like you know, I mean, you remember in in Endgame when you know, when Ant Man wakes up five years later out of the you know quantum realm and he's walking around confused. And you just see like the abandoned cars and, mm-hmm. you know, trash piled up on the street. I mean, um, you know, here we are in real life. We're already living through the so-called quote labor shortage. You've heard yeah. about the news. Like, well, you know, what happens when there's not enough, what happens when the trash guy doesn't come on Thursday? Yeah. Um, 
you know, and we're talking about a minor, a minor hiccup where we're talking about four or five percent, you know, reduced labor force participation. Mm-hmm. And we're already having major logistical supply chain problems, you know, if yeah. half of all life wiped away, you know, that's nobody, you know, you know, my biggest concern is, is always this, who's watching the nuclear reactors? Yeah. I mean, everything else is important. Who's growing the corn, who's driving the trucks, who's picking up the trash. That is, that all matters. Who's watching the nuclear reactors? If, if every other person just got snapped away, that feels really imperative yeah. to me is, is let's keep those things online and safe or, or at least safely powered down. Um, and then, yeah, they all come back five years later. And then, but five years is a long time for us to adjust. Yeah, overpopulation you know? okay, so, would be a huge issue at that point because you have, you know, yeah, I mean, we millions have people, of people that have been born since then that are five years and starvation. old. Starvation. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're used to producing enough for, you know, what, what, what do we have in the world now? Eight billion people. So we're used to producing enough food for four billion five years later. And then all of a sudden we doubled it again to eight. Yeah. And we only have a food enough for four. Um, you know, to me, that's a logistical nightmare. Then this, you know, like I said, you know, you, you got, you got snapped away. You come back, your wife's remarried, mm-hmm. you know, just like Ant-Man, you you know, his daughter's five years old or he lost her childhood. Um, or worse, your baby got snapped away. Five years later, a baby just appears in the middle of the street. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to watch a drama of just civilians having to go through that. Like the, you know, like a three season thing, like spinoff where it was just normal people. And there was a mention of all the superheroes and stuff. And obviously tons of Easter eggs like Marvel does, but, um, just being normal people, um, like you said, it would be crazy. I, there, there's so much, that's like such a, like a rich bed of just content that they could have. No, I don't know if that's just a market for like me and you or like if there is, you know, if that's actually something um, that they can make tons of money off of, but. I think there is a market for it uh, and it probably is a TV market. It probably is a niche market, right? They probably don't want to release a big budget movie and try to sell it to us all. But, yeah. you know, I think a, a little four episode mini series or something like that. And because I think, you know, this, I think the superhero connected universe, multiple arcs, they, they've, they've built up a lot of equity in their fans and in the viewers. Yeah. Uh, I think they have a little bit of liberty, right? I think they could actually afford to spend some of that capital Yeah. and tell a risky story. And with Disney plus, I mean, they really aren't risking a lot because it's just on their program. And if you, people want to watch it, they will. If not, it's not like they're paying Netflix to keep it up. Yeah. Like I said, I think, I think of the, you know, 3 billion people that, that have watched the Marvel movies at this point, yeah. I think there's at least a couple of million of us that would sit there and watch these guys play checkers, yeah. so to speak, you know? Um, and then, and then, yeah, like tell this, tell this completely human story set against this backdrop, you know, and in, in literature, there's a genre called magical realism where it's kind of, that's kind of the idea is, you, the story takes place in a world where certain aspects of mag- magic or fantasy are quote real, but the story, this particular story itself is at, 
isn't really about that. You know, it's about the innkeeper who's just trying to make rent. Yeah, and do they have, um, like, superhero insurance where, like, if your house gets smashed by the yeah. Hulk, like, do you get your money back? Like, I would love to, like, just hear the ins and outs of this, like, lore. Yeah. Um, oh, and that's another big one, too, that they've never, they've never acknowledged this at all. They've never acknowledged this. And, and in a weird way, DC has a little bit over the years, but not, but not a lot. But Marvel never has. You know, people are humans. You know, society is, is, you know, we're, we're a bunch of weirdos and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you right now, like as soon as a guy shows up in New York fighting aliens with a hammer and using lightning and they call him Thor, that's it. Like by the end of that day, the church of Thor.com is online <laughs> taking donations. Yeah. A, a church is being erected it, like in like you know half the towns in America and Europe. Um, five years into this, you know, whole Avengers, you know, project, like the Norse mythology religion is now like the fastest growing religion on the planet. That's just the way humans are, right? Yeah. And they never acknowledge that. Like at no point do they ever acknowledge how the average person is reacting to this sudden truth. Oh, that that guy's real. That's not fake. Yeah. Um. And I mean, look at there's been this huge pagan resurgence in the last you know couple of decades, and in real life, mm-hmm. because of his appearance in fiction, in popular fiction. Yeah. Right. Like we we understand we 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 tacitly acknowledge that that is pure fiction, but because it's on the back of everybody's imaginations now, mm-hmm. thanks to the movies. It's like, oh yeah, I don't go to, you know, a Catholic church, but I'll, you know, but I'll do that. That yeah. seems cool. That seems neat. Right. You know, we, and like I said, we've seen this neo-pagan revival. Um, and it's not even real within that world where it quote is real. Yeah. I, I think you would see all kinds of societal chaos. Right. And, and then of course the tension that that would bring, right. Yeah. What happens when somebody opens the church of Thor right across the street from the Methodists, yeah. like the neighbors are going to be like yelling at each other. And again, I think I would, I would watch that story. Like I said, I would watch that story. I would watch the story of, you know, the community organizers who are trying to put the petition together to stop the church of Thor from being built in their neighborhood. Yeah. Like, yeah, that would be so weird, but I'd love to see it. Well, in Hawkeye, um, when he's using the bathroom, there's a, um, on the stall, I mean, on the urinal, it says Thanos was right. It would also, yeah. like, if you follow human history, it'd be people that had that mindset that would probably join cults. That would be like, you know, oh, yeah. Thanos was right. Cult of Thanos. Yeah. Yeah, there would be the cult of Thanos. And that's what I was going to say, like I said, DC's actually acknowledged this, because you have, uh, Superman has spawned cults. Yeah. And they acknowledge that in some of the movies that there's basically like Superman worshipers. And, he, and of course, you know, he'll, if he, he'll say, hey, yeah, don't do that. That's weird. I'm not a God, but you know, you can't stop a, a, a snowball rolling down a hill. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, in the, you know, same thing in DC thing in the case of Wonder Woman, she's a literal God, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, it throws just basic social norms on its head. And I, I think it's, 
I think there's a lot of really interesting stories that they're just leaving in a drawer. Um, and then they're going to, you know, and then the next movie, it's going to be Spider-Man, you know, fighting the rhino again. Yeah. And that's cool. Right. We love that. Right. That, 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 that makes the money that brings us to the theater. But like I said, I think, at some, I think at some point it's worth telling us the story of, you know, the guy that's just got to get up and go to work tomorrow. So anybody um, higher up from Marvel that's listening right now, pay the man. <laughs> he, he's got, he, he's willing to write for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely will. I'll tell the story of the guy that has to go to work after the whole crushes his car. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, um, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, going to, um, tell you to sue if all of a sudden <laughs> there's new advertisement for a movie that or show that sounds like this. Um, now that I think about it, I'm remembering there was an episode of Batman, the animated series that was all about this, this one random guy that the Joker just decided to ruin his life. Um, and he just kept like terrorizing this like normal suburban, suburban guy. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a neat little story. Don't get me talking um, about Batman animated series. I could talk all day. Uh, there's so many show like just talking about cartoons from my childhood. I could make a whole episode about that. They, uh, there were so many classics like, and they were all on at the same time, which is crazy. Like some of those, um, slots like time slots. I can't imagine in any other, you know, part of time, except for the eighties and nineties, there being so many knockout cartoons on at one time. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, from, you know, kind of from the eighties all the way into the mid nineties, it's, you know, you know, you've got He-Man, GI Joe, Transformers, Voltron, She-Ra, you know, and then you got the other, you know, you got the Smurfs, you got gummy bears, you got Thundercats. And then you had all the other, we had Brave Stars, Silver Hawks, um, Turbo Team. And then into the 90s, is in the 90s, you got like the really big franchise stuff. You had mm-hmm. X-Men, Spider-Man, Batman. Um, and those, like all three of those cartoons were, especially Batman, were, they were like the stories were on, they were next level. The, yeah. Like the 80s stuff. It was, you know, it was cute. It sold the toys. It was good old Cold War propaganda. You know, stop Cobra Commander who looks suspiciously communist. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the nineties, like I said, you had writing on another level for kids. Uh, you know, Batman and X Men in particular, the the stories, the, the complexity of the plots of those episodes, you know, was something that especially in children's entertainment, you know, I, I don't think we had seen before. Uh, and really, I don't think we've seen since not in children's entertainment at least. Yeah. Um, they didn't talk down to children and that's why I think they're, you know, like people our age can still watch, watch them with their kids and still get a ton out of it. Yeah, it was. And, and then those episodes, Batman episodes were really grim. Oh yeah, a lot of a lot of them were at least. Um, and it was so weird the way they, you know, because that that series was basically a direct continuation of you know Burton's movies. Um, yeah, especially you know the way they patterned 
particularly Catwoman and Penguin after their version that you know you'd seen in the in the movie from '92, and um, and Joker, of course, you know, looked not entirely unlike you know the Jack Nicholson rendition, and the theme song was the exact same Danny Elfman theme song. So you've got this series running that's basically a direct continuation of the Tim Burton movies. And then the movies just completely shifted gears and went in like this whole other rebooted direction. Um, dropped the theme song and everything. Um, you know, I always look back on that. And just, just, that decision makes no sense to me. Um, There's a whole group oh. of kids that have only like their first um, time hearing Mark Hamill's voice was as Joker. Yeah. Um, and I never knew that at the time I was watching the show. I had no clue. Really? That's awesome. Yep. No clue. Um, like, you know, loved Star Wars, loved Luke Skywalker, loved the Batman series. And it never dawned on me that that was him. That's awesome. Um, here's an interesting piece of trivia. I always like to drop in anytime the subject of, of Tim Burton's Batman movies comes up. Um, so, Sean Young was the original uh, actor cast for Vicki Vale. And she was injured on the set doing a, uh, a, a scene with a horse that was in the original script and was injured so badly she ended up having to drop out. Then they cut the scene, which made her livid in the end that the scene wasn't even in the movie. The scene that knocked her out of the movie wasn't even in the movie. Oh, that sucks. But in, so it, they had to scramble to replace her short notice. And they, so they put together a short list of, you know, um, actors who were available that they think that they thought they could get. And they wanted somebody that they wanted a name that people knew, right? It didn't have to be the biggest star in the world, but it, they wanted a name people knew, right? Sean Young, people knew her from, um, those sci-fi movies, you know, stuff, the work she'd done in the eighties, you know, stripes, uh, Blade Runner, everything. So they wanted somebody that you'd heard of and Molly Ringwald was in that list. Wow. Yeah. So Molly Ringwald was in the short list to play Vicki Vale in 1989's Batman with Tim Burton. Um, obviously, they went with Tim Bassinger. She was closer in age to Michael Keaton. So it would have been really weird for a 20-year-old Molly Ringwald, 21-year-old, <coughs> uh, playing against like 37-year-old Keaton. So yeah, they didn't go that route. But, um, what a different movie. Yeah, what a what a, what a strange thing. I think it would have been really interesting if Sean Young had gotten to finish the part. Yeah. Um. Uh. But yeah. Then. Um. And then after Returns in '92, Burton had the third movie already written. Um, the third movie was going to have Billy becoming Two Face. It was going to have. I'm going to forget which Wayans brother. It was one of the Wayans brothers was Robin. And, um, and then he was going to bring in the Riddler. So it kind of, you know, you can kind of see where it evolved into what became Batman Forever. Yeah. But I'm always, I just can't help but picture the, the, the version that Burton would have made. Um, plus he had the Catwoman spinoff movie already written. Um, and then, Ten years later, that turned into the Halle Berry movie. Um, it's it's just it's like somewhere in the, somewhere in the massive multiverse, 
you know, there's, there's a universe where Burton kept going and yeah. got to make the entire DC universe yeah. in the 1990s. Um, what a weird time that would have been. Like, that's super interesting to think about. Cause well, to kind of bring it full circle here, um, my first Batman movie was Batman and Robin. Yeah. So like I had a different viewpoint than a lot of people cause I thought that was Batman, you know, like I didn't yeah. see the ones before that first. So when it came out, I think I saw it on VHS the first time. Um, and I had all the toys and my friends had different toys, but the same, you know, like the same run. And so we'd get together and play, you know, Mr. Freeze and everything like that. Yeah. My actual first experience with Batman, because I'm 10 years older, so my mom and dad would sit me down for the reruns of the old Adam West show in the, yeah. in the like, 85, 86. And, so that was actually my first experience. And I remember even at that young an age going, you know, this isn't that good. Yeah. <laughs> um, because uh, you know, because we had the Christopher Reeve movies and then the Helen Slater Supergirl, like those were current, right? So that was my frame of reference for superhero, and I'm like, wow, this is uh, this is not as good as Superman, Dad. Um, why is he dressed like that? <laughs> I showed my oldest and, daughter, who's 14 right now, and I showed her an out of context uh, video of Batman running around with the bomb in the movie. Um, Adam West and she was like this is so bizarre like what is going on and like it, it, you just like you have to watch the whole movie it's supposed to be campy and goofy yeah, that's just such an odd set of choices in, in that run yeah um, and yeah and yeah like you're saying like like for a whole generation you know that was their concept of Batman and, yeah um it, like with Batman, it's like every it's like every generation, you know, wherever you come to it at, and like you know, and that forms in your head of like, no, Batman should be this, and um, and and we're seeing it again play out right now. I'm watching it on social media. You've got all these people like just absolutely enthralled by the Matt Reeves Batman that just came out, and then you've got this other group that are like just holding on for dear life to the, you know, to the, to the last strings of relevance of the Nolan trilogy, you know, because for the longest time, you know, that was, the, that was the pinnacle of, of Batman cinema. Now it's being replaced, you know, just as Nolan replaced, you know, the Joel Schumacher, like I said, you're, you know, you're Batman forever, you're Batman and Robin. Nolan replaced that, which replaced Burton. Burton replaced the Adam West. If we go far enough back in time, there was the old 1940 serials that nobody alive remembers. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's going to be interesting as it just keeps happening. It's, I saw this, I saw a great quote the other day. Somebody was complaining about yet quote yet another Batman movie. And they're like, God, how many Batman movies are we going to make? And somebody said, at this point, there's so many. It's basically like doing Hamlet and no one ever complains that another Hamlet is coming out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, like, like Batman has become the new Shakespeare. Yeah. And when I say, I say, I say Shakespeare in the sense that like, yes, at some point, if you're a big actor, you know, if you, you know, it's the thing, like everybody wants to play Shakespeare in the park, right? <laughs> everybody wants to play Batman in the movies. Yeah. Uh, and eventually you might, right. Um, 
you know, in, in Keaton's case, he's coming back twice this year to reprise the role, yeah. uh, which is an interesting phenomenon, uh, which actually will make him tied with uh, Ben Affleck as the actor who has appeared in a film as Batman the most times. I kind of enjoy it. Um, I look to the Spider-Verse for kind of like like similarities with um, my opinion. I've seen a lot of people that are like, you know, Tobey Maguire is their Spider-Man. And then I see people that are younger with Andrew Garfield. And then, you know, now, of course, Tom Holland. Um, but I'm somewhere in, in the middle. I, you know, enjoy, they each bring something different. And they each scratch a different itch. Um, like, it's, Batman's that way. Like, when I want to watch, like, a really cool, like, very, like, I don't know, just, like, get lost in the in the world of Gotham, I, I will watch the, you know, the, the 89 Batman and, and those movies. Um, and then when I want to watch, you know, like, an amazing film, I'll watch you know, the dark Knight series. Um, and then of course, like when I just want to kind of put something on in the background, Adam West, you know, so they yeah. all kind of bring something different to the table. And, and like my daughter, she's never known a Batman that wasn't like super dark and, um, like gritty because, you know, she didn't grow up with a Batman cartoon. She had, um, she has the new Batman, you know? And then, um, Nolan, the Nolan verse, like, I mean, and, and, and Batfleck, that's like the only things that she's ever seen. So yeah. she's never seen any like campy, you know, um, Batman. So, I mean, that's kind of cool. And now, you know, like my youngest son, Tom Holland is his Spider-Man. And then my 14 year old, Andrew Garfield, and they fight over it. But, um, yeah, it's fun. I, I struggled with, with trying to take my daughter prior to no way home. I was like, should I sit her down and, and, and let her watch, you know, the Toby and Andrew movies? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about it and I was like, and I, hadn't seen, and I, I was like, you know, and I haven't seen most of them since they came out. I, I did see Spider-Man 2 uh, probably two or three times, like, you know, after the fact on, on video, but yeah. still it's probably been, ooh, when did Spider-Man 2 come out? 2004? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it had been close to 18, 19- 17, 18 years since I'd seen Spider-Man Jeez, 2. That makes me feel Even though I loved it. Um, and I ended up just, I ended up just showing her the trailers. Is what I, that was all I did. I was like, there's just no way this eight year old is going to sit through five freaking movies yeah. just to go see one more movie. Yeah. So I just showed her the trailers from every film and explained it to her the best I could. And then we went and watched the movie and, um, I don't think she followed it very well. You know, Um, I think as much as it felt like a kid's movie, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, uh, And I think that was an interesting element of it. Um, It's probably more for people our age. Um, Like, especially uh, since they were bringing in multiple generations of Spider-Man. I was... You know, because I was 22 when the first Tobey Maguire movie hit. So I was already, you know, in college trying to figure out what I was going to do for a career and stuff. But I still, I loved the Tobey Maguire movie as well, the first two at least. Yeah. Uh, the third one was Buddha, 
bit of a disappointment. <laughs> it's a whole different um, movie. And then, you know, whatever year that was, 2010 or something, they rebooted it with Andrew Garfield. I remembered thinking at the time, they're starting this over? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I watched it, and I thought, you know, this is actually a pretty good origin. You know, had this been the first ever Spider-Man yeah. movie, I think it was fine. I think yeah, it was good. I think it would have done um, so much better if they didn't rush the, the ending yeah. of the second one. I think that really killed it because they... It was almost it was two movies squished into one, so I'm, yeah, I have a feeling one. that somewhere in the middle of production, they knew that it wasn't gonna they weren't gonna make a third one, and so the director was like, "Let's just put all this in there because it just seems like a different movie halfway through." Yeah, I can see that. Sony doesn't have a strong track record of letting their uh, directors and franchises breathe. Yep. You know, they're just like, make it or, you know, we're going to, yeah. And then they get and then they were, when, you know, other companies do it better than them with the same character. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, it's like a mix and match. Like, I think, I would almost say like, you know, the perfect Spider-Man movie, this perfect Spider-Man movie would be somehow, and it wouldn't work because of, because of the ages of the actors, but, Somehow the perfect Spider-Man movie would be Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, uh, Emma Stone as Gwen, uh, Gwen Stacy, and, and because I'm, you know, because this is just a Gen Xer thing, uh, it's got to be Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I don't care that she's like not much young or not. No, she's not much older than Tobey Maguire at this point. Nah, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Make it work. Make it work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, that would, uh, that would, that would be my, uh, my, like some version of that, you know, I, I would Frankenstein together the perfect uh-huh. Spider-Man movie. Um, I remember when that first Tom Holland one came out or no, when it was actually, yeah, civil war when she popped out the first time of that many. Yeah. And like so many people, especially like people from way back in the, in, cause in the comics, you know, Aunt May, they always drew her like white haired and geriatric and. Yeah. Um, then the, the Toby Maguire movies, you know, she's like 60 something years old and, you know, raising a teenager in high school. Which didn't and, make much sense because the, like, yeah. you know, a lot of times when they talk about um, Spider Man's mom and dad, they're not super old. So, right. like, I the mean, fact that, that their siblings that, were ancient is weird. Yeah, everybody that balked and took issue with, you know, Marissa Tomei showing up as Aunt May in the, in the Holland ones. And everyone was like, what, why is Aunt May hot? And I was like, well, if he's 15, she should only be in her 40s. Yeah. You know, um, so that's about right. That's about accurate. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, that was what threw everybody for a loop. We were used to this grandmother, not an aunt, you know. Um. And I think it, you know, that was a really interesting moment in sort of cultural history where all of a sudden people were like, I'm not supposed to see this, this character in this way. And, but, but the reality is, you know, no, I mean, yeah. I mean, when you're a teenager, your parents are still relatively young and healthy and they're still, you know, there's the, and they're thus so are their siblings. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how they should look. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I've got, you know, I'm 42. I've got aunts, uh, 
and uncles that are still in their, you know, fifties that still look pretty good, you know, yeah. pretty good. Um, so I think that's actually natural. Um, but it's this weird sense of, you know, we're not supposed to see this character in this way. It's, they're supposed to be quote old, but yeah. doesn't make sense for them to be that old. Um, and a lot of it has to do with styles, you know, the way people, the way they do their hair, the way they do their dress. Yeah. Um, people who are quote old, relatively speaking, they don't look like old people used to look. Yeah. Um, you know, somebody did that phenomenon. Like they, they saw a picture of George Costanza in the first season of Seinfeld. And uh, they're like, you can't tell me that this guy's 29. Yeah. And I was like, but he was yeah. in that episode. That actor was 29 years old. Yeah. Um, you know, they're like, man, this guy looks 45. And I'm like, well, just part of it is just, you know, the way people, you know, looked and dressed and behaved. And it's, yeah. we associate those qualities with oldness. But once upon a time, that person was young, but they were still the same person. Um, and it makes me wonder, you know, what does a nine-year-old see when they see Marissa Tomei as that May, right? Yeah. Maybe the nine-year-old looks at her and to the nine-year-old, she is ancient. Yeah. But of course, to me, she's Marissa Tomei. She's my, it's my cousin, Benny, you know. It's, yeah. I um, a, speaking of ages, I have a conspiracy theory that Paul Rudd doesn't age. He's 52 and he doesn't look like a day over 30. There's a handful like that. Paul Rudd is aging really, really well. Um, Keanu Reeves is aging not quite as well as Rudd, but pretty well. Yeah. I think um, if he shaved his beard, he would look a lot younger too. So, Yeah. Um, he shaved it in the new Bill and Ted. Oh, really? Uh, he had a, yeah, he had a clean-shaven face in that. I um, watch that one. And it's funny, you know, watching him next to... Um, it's, oh, I'm, I'm going to lose my 80s card and forget the, uh, I'm going to forget Bill's name. Um, it's Michael England. Um, Alex Winter. Alex Winter. I don't know why I said Michael England. Uh, Alex Winter. Where did I get Michael England from? Um, yeah, Alex, Alex Winter. Yeah. So watching, something. uh, yeah, he looks so much older than Keanu Reeves in, in the, in the third movie. Um, then uh, I'm trying to think of some other uh, male actors that have that are kind of like getting older, but are really sort of holding holding on to it. Uh, well, Tom Cruise, uh, yeah, Tom Cruise is, is the venerable. You know, that guy's sixty and still somehow looks like Tom Cruise. Um, Tom Selleck was like that for years. You know, yeah. it, it finally turned for him, but Tom Selleck held on to his like all the way through his fifties, and he was still kind of like holding on. Um, now with women, I can go all day, Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Lopez, Marissa Tomei, Christina Applegate, Molly Ringwald, um, Sandra Bullock, uh, Drew Barrymore, yeah. uh, Lucy Liu, Michelle Yeoh, uh, um, Selma Hayek. Angela Bassett, yeah. um, like some of these women, some of these women I'm naming are like, they're at 60 now. Marissa Tomei is almost 60. It's crazy. 
um, uh, like, and then of course the you know the biggest one of all is Cassandra Peterson, aka Elvira. She just turned seventy, you know, um, and she's still playing Elvira. Uh, yeah, so like yeah, like you're talking about like some of these people making deals with the devil. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's some um, people that have looked old since they were young, and that's like Sam Elliott too. <laughs> he's always looked like yeah, he's Sam Elliott's eighty. He was just always old. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, the, the kid that you know the the kid that made that comment about Jason Alexander, you know George. Yeah. But they're gonna look forty five, and I'm like, well, he just yeah, I guess he does. Um. Uh, kind of think. Um. People, you know, actors where it's the, the, the inverse is true, where they just suddenly got old. Yeah. Um, There's, John Goodman. Yeah. John Goodman seems like he was always old yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, even though he wasn't, you know, I can go back and find movies where he's in his 20s, and yeah. it's like. Um, yeah, and then he lost a lot of weight and looked even older. Yeah, that, that happens. Um, because you know you you're, you hide your wrinkles if you have extra weight. Yeah, like you got the baby face type thing going on. Yep. Um, well, um, I have enjoyed our talk. I I really have. I feel like we probably should have you on for another episode sometime in the future. Um, oh, awesome! Yeah, I'd love it, man. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, having me on. We have a once a month we talk about um, a, a movie um, here on the show. We get like four or five people to talk. Uh, two or three have been kind of um, like on every time. And uh, we have been kind of stuck on the 80s as far as our movies. Uh, we did Chopping Mall last time. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So yeah, that's a great one. If you would like to be on an episode of that, that'd be awesome too. Yeah, sure thing, man. Just reach out to me. Um, I can usually find some availability, um, especially like this in the evening. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, um, can you uh, tell everybody where to find your book? Yeah, so uh, happily. Uh, so my uh, most recently published trilogy of novels, uh, the Sledgehammer Trilogy, um, Jukebox Hero, Hungry Like the Wolf, and Rainbow in the Dark. Um uh, so available on Amazon, available at pretty much any bookstore, um, ebooks, um, they're on pretty much every ebook format. Uh, and also Jukebox Hero, the first in the series is also on audiobook on Audible, uh, through Amazon. So there's that option as well. Um, so yeah. And like I said, it's, uh, it's the idea of that series is I just shoved every pop culture reference from the 1980s that you can possibly imagine into one story. It's, you know, the opening of it is imagine uh, the breakfast club has to fight Skeletor's army. And that's just the beginning. And that's kind of the gist of it. That's kind of the gist of it. Um, So yeah, it's, it's a wild ride. I I use pop music as as chapter titles and um, you know, it, it just keeps getting weirder as it goes on. So yeah. Um, But yeah, they're available. Um, uh, people on anybody who follows me on social media can hit me up for a signed copy, and I'll I'll mail it out happily. Yeah, definitely. Um, like I'd like to get one. So, oh yeah, man, no worries. And um, where can people find you? 
So uh, I'm uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok are my main three uh, social media. I have a Twitter, but I don't use it that much. Yeah, same. Um, so Facebook.com slash Raise a Holler, uh, which is the name of my ri- my very first novel I ever published. Uh, so that's my handle on Facebook. And then uh, Instagram and TikTok are both. Uh, my handle is DVD Killed the VCR. So, you know of a play on that old 80s song yeah you know, video cover radio song um which is actually from 1979 i mean uh, when i looked it up yeah. the most 80s song of all time actually a 70s song oh wow yeah but speaking yeah. of vcrs so, yeah. i had we we had mentioned that we were doing this uh viewing this movie thing and uh we were going to start watching like really bad crappy vhs's um and so oh. A lot of really awesome listeners sent in a ton of VHS tapes, like I'm like tubs full. And then my kids, my lovely children, decided to break my VCR, but you know, like which is a rite of passage, like stuffing stuff in a VCR. I think um, every yeah. everybody's done at one time or another. But uh, yeah, so it's down. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just pick up another one. I've had that one since I, you know, since I was young. So I. Uh, been looking at thrift stores and stuff and they're going for like 50 to a hundred dollars. They're getting hard to find. I've got two that kind of work. Um, one of them kind of on the outs. It likes to try to eat the tape. Um, and I'm, I've got my eyes peeled for a backup. Cause yeah, I mean, they're not making any more of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I uh, actually, yeah, I was kind of, um, like they're making record players and stuff like that, like brand new. So I, I thought maybe they would have one, you know, there'd be like one fringe brand that made them. Well, no, not any that I could find. It may yet come. We'll see. You know, because yeah, you're right. The records have records have made a comeback. So maybe the VCR will make a comeback in the next few years. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe, maybe not. I'm kind of hoping not because I can still like uh, we have uh, twenty for a dollar. VHS tapes at my local thrift store, and that is amazing. So I mean, I, oh, wow. I'm gonna like that, be that mad when they're like five dollars a piece again. Because I mean, mine, my local thrift store has a deal like that, but it's only five for a dollar. Uh, although some days, I, some days when I'm cruising through there, I struggle to find five. Yeah, well, um, unfortunately, a lot of people die and and donate their stuff there. Like they'll clean out like grandpa's stuff and. It's starting to get. It's sadly starting to get to the age where grandpas have a ton of VHS tapes in their attic and stuff. Yep, so I think it was hard to find. At least at the first store down here, it's hard to find horror, especially like yeah. the really good stuff. You mm-hmm. know, like you mentioned Shopping Mall or any of the yeah, Freddy's or the Thirteenth. Or... I can't find hardly anything that or like I, I really enjoy like the really cheesy action, like Ninja Fury or you know. Yeah. Steel Fist, like those ones that are terrible movies, but they're amazing at the same time. Um, um, yeah, that's a yeah, that's those are. I've, I've, yeah, I have found a few of those. My greatest find at a thrift store, though, of VHS was Light of Day, the Joan Jett Michael J. Fox movie. Oh, really? That they did, and, and most people didn't see it, had never even heard of it. In all honesty, even I hadn't heard of it back then. You know when it came out. Yeah. Uh, or, or even in the '90s, you know, a decade later, when I would have been like all about something like that, you know, uh, huge Joan Jett fan, obviously a you know Michael J. Fox fan, um, 
of course, it was a really bleak melodrama, too. I mean, they do music. They play music all through the, the, the movie, but obviously, it's a film jet. But um, the story was just horrifically sad. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then, of course, you know, obviously not a hugely successful movie. But, yeah, I found, oddly enough, I found a copy of that. That's, I think, the rarest that I've ever found at a thrift store. Well, the coolest thing VHS-wise I found, and I didn't grab it because at the time I was actually – um, working and I was my lunch break was over. It was um, a VHS vinyl soundtrack um, set, and it was unopened and it was Zondu. And and I was like, oh man, it'll be here. You know, I I only work for two more hours. I'll be back, and it was gone. Not gone. Um. Yeah, that's gone. And, it, and it's probably sat there. It could have probably sat there for a year. And just because I moved it out of its spot, somebody picked it up. <laughs> you know how it goes. But so the one question I like to ask every guest that's been on the show um, is what's your favorite breakfast food? My favorite breakfast food. Yeah. Ooh. So hmm. I guess because I'm from down here, I think I'm. I think I might be obligated to to say grits. Um, although I did pick up the habit of I really like to eat bread and cheese. I stayed in Europe with an ex girlfriend of mine from back in college. Oh, God, coming up on twenty years ago now, but um, she let me come out there for the summer one year and stay with her and her family, and I got used to the way they ate breakfast, which was for the most part, you know, like bread and cheese every day, but like wow. really good bread, really good cheese. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Mississippi guy in me, I think is legally obligated to say grits. Yeah. And so in three seasons, <laughs> you're only, uh, the second person to ever say grits. So <laughs> yeah, elite club. <laughs> My daughter swears I took the best grits. Um, so, that's my one trophy I'm proud to have. So I, that's our problem is them. that we just haven't had your grits. Yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah. You know, um, well, you're not allowed to put anything sweet in them. That's the rule. Like yeah. anybody that says you put sweet stuff in grits, they're wrong. They're always going to be wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, pretty simple. You know, uh, slice of cheese, salt, butter. That's about it. Nothing special. That's awesome. Well, I, I thank yep. you for coming on the show. Um, thanks for hanging out in the diner for a couple hours, and uh, I hope you have an amazing rest of your week. We we will uh, we'll look forward to that second episode, maybe a little bonus episode with the movie uh, movie pod. Awesome, man. Yeah, I'd love to do it. Just uh, let me know. And then, yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Love ta- chatting with you. Well, guys. Didn't expect it to go two hours, but man, I could talk about that stuff all day. I'm so excited to have him back on the show again. Um, Thanks for listening. I appreciate you. Um, You can find us on everything. Just search Diner Discussions, and we're there. TikTok, Discord, everything. Um, Come hang out on the Discord. It's a lot of fun. We have a lot of new faces this week, and I am so, so happy that you guys have reached out to us and told us that our new format's working. And uh, if you want, you can join our newsletter. Uh, it comes out um, every two weeks. So it's bi-weekly. 
um, I guess is the term. And it kind of just lets you know what's going on around here in the diner and what's coming up next. So uh, a little more deep dive into the people's backstories that are going to be on, um, how to reach them, uh, their links and all that stuff. And kind of like, you know, just projects that we've got going on here and kind of just behind the scenes stuff. So it's a lot of fun. And we um, have a sign up on our um, Facebook. So go check us out over there. And thanks, guys, for listening. I appreciate you. And remember, you're always welcome in the diner. Thank you.